I called my mom that first month and I said, I don't know if sales is for me. I just moved myself across the country and I'm not figuring it out. It's, it's really, it's harder than I thought it was going to be. And then you start to have that fear creep in of, well, what if this doesn't work out? What if I try as hard as I can and I still don't get the results I want? But to me, it's pissing me off that other people are doing better than me. I want to be better than everyone. I don't give a shit what this guy says. I'm going to have the biggest year. That anger was like never ending fuel for me that year. And it was the most productive year of my life because I used that anger and that fear of if I don't succeed this year, all right, everybody, welcome back to the Millennial Sales Podcast. Your host, Tommy Tahoe, Alemo in the house. Uh, just want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor before we get to today's content. This episode is brought to you by the Arise Retreat. This is a three-day live in-person retreat that I am running with my friends Alex Kremer and Clara Johnson. They were formerly sales leaders at Outreach, now at Catalyst. Um, we are doing this retreat to focus on the three aspects that you need to be a great salesperson, which is the actual sales tactics that will help you hit President's Club, working on the inner game, learning more about your why, trying to feel fulfilled, uh, and getting into your deeper purpose, and building community and having a great time. So we're going to be down in Austin, Texas, July 14th through 16th. Uh, we'd love to have you there. Uh, we're only taking applicants, only 20 people uh capped for this uh for this first retreat because we want to do such a great job and just keep it really tight and intimate so if you want to learn more you could head over to alluvians.co slash arise that's alluvians.co slash arise or head to my linkedin page and you can find more info there all right let's get into today's content all right next on the mic we got my man trent dressel in the house uh trent Mr. 60,000 cold calls. How you doing, my man? Oh, man. I haven't made too many cold calls recently, but I'm feeling good today and happy to be in the studio. Mike's hot with TA Sales himself. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm excited to have you. Uh, this has been a long time coming, and I know a lot of folks really love your content, you know, on YouTube, on, on uh, your podcast, on, you know, the, the guides that you put together, the courses you put together on LinkedIn. And so I'm excited to have you on, man. We have very similar journeys you've also made a lot of news in the last like month or so since your uh exit from your last company and people are waiting uh on like what your next move is going to be like lebron before he went to uh play for the miami heat so uh it's a good time for us to be talking and just sharing ideas and i'm excited to share your story man i came across your content tom about a year and a half ago and i was telling you this via messenger but i remember randomly seeing this video of you and these three dudes in some san francisco apartment a bald guy you guys had wine in these mics and you were just talking about sales and i found it so fascinating because you were talking about hey we just want to be successful and we're going to talk about it led me to reach out to you we built the relationship so this has been a long time coming i'm happy to be here yeah yeah man i i appreciate that uh yeah, I've been a fan of yours. You came, spoke with my community. I've been binging your YouTube content. So um, what I want to do is talk a little bit about your story uh, for people that aren't familiar. So, you know, my my understanding is, you know, Trent Dressel comes from Columbus, Ohio, uh, and had no tech background, no tech connections, maybe no sales background even before graduating college. I'm not sure on that. Um, but But talk to me just about the initial stages. You graduate school. And, uh, and you get into tech sales. How exactly did that journey start? Yeah, 
I think it's important to begin with the end in mind. So let me share some quick highlight points and then I'll rewind it back to the beginning because anytime I listen to a piece of content, I'm immediately asking myself, why should I listen to this person? How, how do I relate to their story? How much credibility do they have? I've worked in tech sales five years. I promoted six times at the same tech company from an SDR one to a senior account executive five, 60,000 cold calls live. Um, yeah, exactly. And ended up closing about 1.54 million in recurring revenue my first nine quarters and earned $300,000 my final year as an AE at age 26. The reason I think it's important to share that is just as the audience can think about, is this someone who's actually done what they're about to talk about today? Not just read a book in theory and think they know what's happening. I've been there. I've done that. I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, and I really had no aspirations to do anything. My parents had a small business importing vials from China. So think about if your dog gets a stomach ache, you got to go to the veterinarian and get a little pill vial to get medicine. That's what they imported and sold. So naturally a bit entrepreneurial I would mow lawns, shovel snow, worked at pizza shops, wash dishes. I did a lot of odd jobs, but I never had aspirations to get in sales or tech or software. I landed at Ohio University, which is not the Buckeyes. Most people think Columbus, Ohio, Buckeyes, the Ohio State. We're about an hour south in Athens, Ohio. That's where I went. And I really didn't do anything. I, 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 I didn't get involved. I kind of just went to class, played a lot of video games. And then everything changed that sophomore year. I got in a business fraternity. And the biggest thing, Tom, was surrounding myself with people that were smarter than me, that studied differently. Like the concept of studying three days before a test was mind blowing to me because it was just, hey, let's just show up the day of, maybe study the night before and do it. So that changed my trajectory. And I ended up having this desire to get a sales job in a big city outside of Ohio. It was as simple as that. So entering my senior year, I had absolutely no prospects. I never had an internship, no real job, no nothing like that. And I was involved in this sales program. I didn't really go to the things, but I was in it. And we had a career fair. I wrote down the 15 companies that were hiring that were not in Ohio that did sales, went through the whole dance and pony show routine and ended up getting hired at a fast growing tech company as a sales development rep. Didn't know what I would be doing. Ended up moving myself from Columbus to Dallas, Ohio. And, and that was really the, the start of my journey in tech that brought us to this point here today. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you um, outlining that. And uh, I come from an entrepreneurial family too, of like a very random uh, product. My family has like, you know, that you do like paint nights and you can like paint pottery and things like that. Um, there's places that, that you can do that. Uh, we, that my family sells like the, the raw supplies of like the paint and the plates and stuff and the glazes to those companies. So it's very uh, random, uh, but I guess like, you know, it can be be good businesses, even though they're, they're a little bit, uh, you know, boring or, or random, but I think that, that, that entrepreneurial, you know, whether you get talked or taught it as a kid, or you just kind of witness it, you know, from your parents, I do think that sticks with you. And I think that that leads to, you know, a different mindset. Maybe when you start sales, I don't know if you felt the same way. I always felt like I was destined to be in sales and growing up, for example, seeing my dad on sales calls, seeing how he moved, how he dealt with prospects and one of my memories is he was just always on the phone. And I think that that was ingrained in me of, of hey, may maybe we don't have all the raw talent. We don't have the looks. We don't have the humor. We, we don't have the connections, the last name, but we can just be on the phone all day and just make more calls than everyone else. And that was really what underpinned my early success in tech sales of, of simply, hey, let's just have more call time than everyone else. 
And it's a controllable that everyone listening right now can apply today to find more success. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you, uh, you're 22, you got no connections. Uh, you do have some work ethic. It seems like, uh, you fly out, you move out to Dallas, you don't know anyone or, or maybe few people, uh, and you show up. How, how did the first like six months as an SDR go for you? And we drove, my friend, we drove 18 and oh, a half drove? hours. Okay. Okay. Oh yeah. We, we filled up the Ford Focus hatchback and, and whatever didn't fit, didn't come. So we, we drove ourselves across the country. I remember arriving to my building that day and just being in disarray of I'm in this new city. I don't really know anyone. We're, we're starting a new life, new life quite literally. So I show up to the office that first day. And of, of course we had some training, we had some onboarding, learning about the product. It, it was, they talk about the competitive marketplace, all the, the APIs, the software. It, you're just like, I don't understand any of what you're saying. If you were to ask me to explain it, I couldn't do it. But you show up, they give you a headset and they say, hey, you're going to be cold calling for a living. You're going to be booking meeting at, meetings as a sales development rep. And to be honest, Tom, I did not know what I would be doing because it was just get a sales job in a big city. I did some broad research on my company to get hired, but still didn't really, couldn't sell it, couldn't explain it. And I remember in the first few weeks, it was really challenging. I was sitting there calling, cold calling, and I would hesitate before calls. I had this list of prospects I found. I was outbound. So I was responsible for doing all the prospecting, finding everyone myself. Yeah. And before I would call, I thought I was doing the right thing. I would look at the prospects, LinkedIn page, the company website, everything to prep the Salesforce page and CRM. And then the girl next to me who had been working like nine months longer, she's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm preparing right now. She's like, that's the biggest mistake you can be doing. Just press call and figure out what to say while it's ringing. And, and that, that was such a great piece of advice early on because it primed me to just take more action. And of course, the higher up you go, you, you maybe want to prep a little bit if you're calling these enterprise accounts. But when I first started, it was just pure action. I was the lowest performing rep my first month, despite what it may seem like. You may be thinking, wow, this guy must be so good. It, it didn't naturally come to me because I didn't know what I was doing. Out of 34 SDRs across the company, I was quite literally tied for 34 last. It, I think we needed to get six qualified opportunities. I got four or five. And the reason why I don't think I found success is because I wasn't truly all in. I thought I was trying hard by just showing up and they say, hey, the expectations to make 40 calls. Okay, let me make 40 calls, clock in, do it and leave. The expectations to set two meetings a week. Okay, do that. And I think I was just going through the motions thinking it would just happen. But then everything changed for me early on when I sought out the advice of the senior sales leader in our office. And he said, if you want to find success here, you truly got to be all in. If most people are giving their best and that's 80% of what they're capable of, imagine if you just truly commit and say, I'm not just here to get on the resume and go get an account executive role a year later. I'm not just here to get a paycheck and then move back to the parents' house, whatever it may be. It's, hey, there are no alternatives. The grass is not going to be greener. And maybe that was naive of, of me to think young in my career, but it truly was, I'm committed to this company. I'm going to grow here and I'm going to do whatever it takes. And it's just that slight tweak and approach of I'm willing to do whatever it takes versus, hey, if it doesn't really come to me, I'll just be okay, whatnot. And I wanted to be the top rep on my team. And that mentality is what fueled me to then learn and get better and eventually start to produce results. Mm. So you have this world where, you know, the first month you're tied for 34, you're struggling, <laughs> you're not quite, maybe, maybe a little, dis, you know, uh, a little disoriented, a little disappointed uh, that you're, you're off to a slow start. 
you've got this senior sales leader that you respect telling you that you've got to be all in. Um, and then we, you know, if anyone knows your journey, they know you, you do quite, you go certainly all in. Um, <laughs> what does that process look like from, hey, I'm going to show up and make 40 calls, you know, the bare minimum a day to the guy that, as we mentioned, you know, got promoted six times in five years, 60,000 cold calls, all these other accolades. Um, how did that, how did you start to get your, your act in gear? Like, what were the first steps? Like, if someone's listening to this and they're like, man, I, you know, uh, by the end of this, hopefully they, they do want to be all in on whatever they're doing. Like, what, what steps did you take to start like changing the trajectory, like quite literally? Yeah. Yeah. When, when you're sitting around and you're looking to your left and your right and you have your teammates and your company's preaching, hey, we're all one team, we're, we're all in it together. But to me, I had to frame it where it's pissing me off that other people are doing better than me. Not selfish, selfishly me thinking if they do well, that takes away from me. But hey, I want to be better than everyone around me is. And I remember onboarding with some of these guys. And, and one of the guys was at the top of the leaderboard that first month. He had like 37 opportunities, which was unheard of. And I looked at it and you start to get frustrated and you say, these guys are no different than me. Why are they finding it quicker? Why are they figuring out sooner than me? And it starts to become frustrating. And I remember I, I reached that it is sales for me moment, which, which everyone goes through. I called my mom that first month and I said, I don't know if sales is for me. I just moved myself across the country and I'm not figuring it out. It's, it's really, it's harder than I thought it was going to be. And then you start to have that fear creep in of, well, what if this doesn't work out? What if I try as hard as I can and I still don't get the results I want? I think just leaning into that fear and the anger, whatever emotions, negative or positive you have, you got to leverage that to say, okay, well, I have all this energy now. Let me push it into something productive. And that looks like, well, let me show up first, let me leave last. And time is one thing you can put in more time than everyone else. But I think it's just deciding that I'll just put in more volume. It, it was, a, that was the simplest tweak, Tom. It was, if they expect you to make 80 calls, I'll make 100 calls each and every day. And it wasn't a matter of, am I outperforming those around me? It was, am I putting in more volume and activity than those around me? So we have our daily leaderboard on the CRM, the, the sales dashboard, and you see total calls, total emails, total meeting set, total opportunities, total pipeline, all of that. And my entire goal was to be at the top of that leaderboard each and every day, not in spite of other people, but it was just, I'm petty where if, if someone's ahead of me at 5 PM, they made 30 more, like I'll stay until six to make 40 calls. It doesn't matter if it were raining outside. I would use the, I would say, you know what? Everyone else is complaining about the, oh, this commute sucked this morning. To me, I would say I'm making hundred calls a day. Some days I would show up and say, I'm not eating food till I set a meeting. Hey, manager, hold my phone. I'm not looking at this phone till I set a meeting today. So you, you got to find ways to have fun with it. Mm. But it requires a little bit of extremeness to say, you know what? We're frustrated. We don't want to be where we're at today. What is it? What does the future state look like? Okay. Are we serious enough to actually put in the necessary levels of activity and volume? And that that's the biggest thing holding people back in my view is just not putting in more activity because it's totally controllable. Mm. You, you're, you're making a lot of great points. And I think um, we, we, we cross a, a thin line because in sales and in life, like, you know, we want to, you know, we don't want to push people too hard. We don't want to say, um, you know, Hey, you need to do this. You need to work 16 hours a day in order to be successful and, and things like this. I think people, uh, you know, hustle porn got 
you know, maybe a little too, uh, you know, too wide mainstream for a lot of people like in the 2010s. But it almost feels like sometimes we go a little bit too far off the spectrum where it's like we don't want to work at all. And I remember my first few years in particular in my sales career, I did the same thing. And it was like, uh, you know, it was I'm going to I am going to be in before everyone. I'm not going to leave until everyone leaves. And and that it it truly isn't the most like productive way maybe to work. Like it, it really it's not the best use of your time to like just hang around the office and like make like half-hearted calls just because someone else is there. <laughs> but there is like, there is a little bit of a mindset shaping. There are neurons firing in your brain that is just saying, I'm, I am willing to do what it takes to make this work. And if you're in a place where, man, this just isn't working, then there might be a period of time where you just have to go a little bit harder. You might have to make some extra calls, send some extra emails, you know, get on some more, uh, you know, face-to-face meetings, whatever it is in, in your role. Um, but there is something to be said about just like, man, I, I just got to double down and work a little bit more to, to figure this out. And then once you get the skills, uh, maybe you still out, out dialed people as you were an AE and things like that. Um, but you also, because you made so many calls, you had higher skill sets. Your, your calls were higher quality. And so when the, your quality is low, when you start, the quantity needs to be high. And then you might be able to balance out some of the quantity as your quality gets higher. There's two variables that any rep can consider when looking to increase performance. It's your skill and your will. Your skill is your ability to do something well, your efficiency. I get a lot of pushback when I say, I want to show up before set, before seven, eight. I want to stay past five, six. And a lot of people say, there's no need to put in all that time. Like you got to have a balance. You got to do this. You got to do that. I'd be in the office and, and people would be leaving. They'd say, Trent, you don't need to stay so long. Don't work so hard. If you're so efficient that you can work from nine to four and still produce your desired result, then that's great. And that's what you should do. But for the majority of us, it's the willpower, the ability to say, I will just put in more volume than everyone else, not to just try and crush them unless you want to, but it's just simply in order for me to maximize my potential, I got to put in the reps to your point to build up the skill, but also just to put myself in a position to be successful. And I think when you get in that mentality of just deciding, Hey, I'll just do whatever it takes. I'll put in more volume. I think you'll start, you'll start to get some of the results you want. Mm. Yeah, I think um, it's a good point, right? It's like, look at, look at your results. And if, if things aren't what you want, nothing changes until you change. Right. And so uh, if, if you're not getting the results you want, you look at everything that you're doing and start making some changes, right? Maybe you start making a bunch more calls. Uh, if that doesn't work, okay, maybe I'm just going to go hard on, on email. I'm going to go use LinkedIn. I'm going to try video prospecting. I'm going to work four more hours a day. I'm going to work, you know, two less hours and try to do something crazy. You know, like try different things uh, to see what's going to work for you. Uh, and if things aren't working and, and you keep doing the same thing over and over, nothing's going to change from that. Another harsh reality, Tom, is a lot of folks are always asking, well, what do I say? What specifically do I do? And I'm here to tell you that your actual script, having the right strategy, thinking you know what's going on, none of that matters as much as the actual execution and actually doing it. So worry less about what to say or do and just focus on the actual doing. And if you are in the camp of work-life balance, which I think is great, but 
you don't need to work as hard as the next person. Think about person A and person B. Let's say they're equal talent, but person A, to your point, Tom, likes to be in the office longer. They just like to hang out. They like to be there. Person A puts in more time. Person A will outproduce person B 10 times out of 10 if they're equal talent, but person A simply cares more and works longer and harder. So if you think about having that talent and that skill, if you combine that with relentless volume and deciding to execute, that is how you start to separate yourself. And it's really as simple as that in sales. And it sounds so simple, but that's the one thing you can apply today to improve performance. Mm. So walk me through. So you started your career, what, 2017? 18. 2018. Okay. So let's say you start getting in a groove 2019. You know, <clears throat> you're, you, you're, you're all in, you're doing this. Uh, I know you will also talk about what you've been, you've been building on the side with your YouTube channel and, and things like that. But walk me through just like an average day for you, average work day, but you know, 2019, 2020, uh, maybe take COVID out of it. But like, what, what, what did that look like for you? When I accepted my offer at my company, they said, Trent, you're going to be an SDR for four to six months. And then you're going to promote to an account executive. I didn't entirely know what that meant. But when I started within weeks, they changed the program. And this is when I grasped, they changed the program from quick turnaround to become an account executive to it's now a two-year program to promote to account executive because we don't want less mature reps that get in this sink or swim where they get in this revenue role and they either know how to do it or don't and they fail. So my company changed it to two years as an SDR. And then you become a mid-level account executive with the higher quota, higher pay, et cetera, et cetera. So I was an SDR for two full years. And for about a half of that, it was quite literally 100 cold calls each and every day. So I live about 25 minute commute from the office in the morning and then 45 minute commute from the office in the evening because there's a lot more traffic. So my goal was to leave before seven every day. So it would, it would, it would really try and leave at like 645, 650 because that, that subtle difference, it, it, it reduced the time in the car. So let's say we leave at 650, get to the office about 715 ish. As soon as I get into the office as an SDR in that early period, my day revolved around finding prospects calling prospects and emailing prospects. Those are the three needle moving activities. Oftentimes companies say, you got to do these manager meetings. We have all these internal meetings. Initially, that was hard to build around your day because you're getting in a flow and then you got some BS meeting talking about something that does not mean anything. And it kind of distracts you. And then you got these catered lunches, they're bringing in pasta. And then all of a sudden you're in the massage chair in the afternoon and you're not making any calls. So you want to be aware of all these variables, but bottom line, it's getting the office 730. Always start dialing before 8 a.m. If everyone else is getting in the office at 8 a.m., if everyone else is checking their email as soon as they get in the office and then not, not calling until 8.39, can you start calling at 7.30, 7.45, even though it may be before work hours? Do you think those VPs are more likely to answer at that time or at 9 a.m. when they're on their meetings? They're getting berated with Slack messages. So it's always call before a call at least 30, 40 dials before noon. That was my benchmark is I need to get at least 40 dials before noon so that I had a chance to then put up another 40, 50 dials in the afternoon to hit my 100 outbound dials each and every day. When I wasn't dialing, it was finding prospects. And then when I wasn't doing that, it was, okay, now I've added prospects to my sequence. My first step in my cadence, my sequence is to send my manual, somewhat customized email. Let me fire it off. And then I got more calls to make. 
So it became a matter of me tracking those activities. Every day, it was simply how many calls did I make? How many emails did I send? And how many prospects did I find? And that was the oversimplistic way of measuring my metrics as an early 10-year SDR. I've since, I've since improved that system, which we can talk about here today. But those are the three activities that count in addition to self-development as well, about just trying to learn the product, going and speaking with other top performers, and just trying to figure out what is working and how can I emulate it. Mm. So tell, I want, I want more detail. So, uh, tell me, tell me this, like, so you're leaving at 6:45. what are you listening to in the car? When are you leaving the office? Uh, you know, uh, are you exercising? Are you seeing friends? Are you really just like in this period of time, like during the week, I'm just, you know, sales guy. And then maybe on the weekends you're doing other stuff. Uh, if you had started your YouTube, when is that coming in? Like, tell, tell me a little bit more about like how all of that else gets put into your day at that point. My first year in Dallas, I lived with two roommates and we had the spot, Tom. It was every Friday night. Everyone came <laughs> to our place. We had a bottle of Tito's. I mean, we collected Tito's bottles up on our, our balcony type thing. So every weekend we were partying at least one, if not two nights a week, we're 22, 23, 24. And it's basically just work during the week. By Thursday, you're thinking, gosh, like I was hung over Monday, but I, I, we're going to do something this weekend because you're trying to cope with it. You're young, trying to party, you're, you're trying yeah. to have fun. So th that was basically my, my existence is, is Monday through Friday, just a lot of work, get in the office, 7.30, leave between, let's say 4.30 and 6.30. Like some, some days you're just like, you know what? I want to beat the traffic. I'm going to leave at 4.30. Some days you got to grind a little bit later. And I would encourage yeah. everyone less than 12 months into their career, you, you want to go into the office first and foremost. I'm a proponent of remote work now. I used to be, hey, got to go in the office. Now I'm all in yeah. a remote work and we can talk about that. But I would recommend go in the office, be around your colleagues, get some FaceTime and stay in the office because it's those reps and being in that environment, sitting at your desk, making the calls, not going in some conference room or some booth. Th that's what it takes early, early in your career to ramp up faster that volume. In the car, we would listen to music and whatnot. At that stage, I didn't really think about, well, what are the implications if I listen to music versus a podcast? If I go to bed at 11 p.m. versus 9 p.m., if I don't drink versus drink, if I get sleep, if I don't get sleep, if I meditate versus not meditate, I didn't really think about those things. It didn't come until about 24, 25 I decided to move out of the place with my roommates because it had gotten a little too comfortable, a little too predictable of every weekend. We're going to do the party one day a week. We're going to watch college football all day, gamble on it. You know, we're watching NFL all day. We're ordering chicken wings. We're gambling. It's, it's just like this virtuous cycle of you're now making enough money yeah. to do whatever you want, whenever you want. And, and it's easy and it's comfortable. And I had this realization at that 24, 25 timeframe of, I feel like, I feel like I have a lot more to give. I want to do big things. I feel like my potential, it's just our only, our only limitations are self-imposed. So I always felt like I had more to offer, more to do. I just wanted to make more money and be successful, whether for the right or wrong reasons. I mean, it's, it's all relative, but it's truly, I just want to get rich and make money. So I was thinking about, okay, well, I'm in my job. I got to keep producing here. But that's when I really started to look at how can I optimize my life? How can I get sleep? I like to think of myself as a corporate athlete. It was all revolved around... Let me get sleep. Let me hydrate. I'm so, I'm going to bring in my own food now. I'm one of those guys. Like I'm not taking the catering. Yeah. I'm going to eat my own food. So I have energy all day. That's a whole nother topic. I think it's really important to talk about. And it was all just around optimization. And then that's when it got to this just focus of, 
okay, let's produce in the career. Let's get promotions. What's the next milestone. That's when we started to think about the personal brand and build that. That's a whole nother topic yeah, yeah. as well. So it was really just this, this constant evolution of self growth that I'm still on to this day. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, uh, again, I, I feel like our, our journeys are, are somewhat parallel of just finding those different levels, finding those different ways. And I, I do think it happened that way for both of us and probably a lot of other people that have been successful in the same way of like, you start, you fail, then you just like go, all right, I'm going to do the most quantity. And then you start to build up some quality yeah. and then you start to understand, oh, there's other things other than just how many calls I make that impact how well I do. Like, you know, am I reading books? Am I sleeping? Am I eating well? Am I exercising? Am I, you know, learning about other things, right? Am I creating a brand? There's all these other things that then kind of play out um, and, and grow, I think, as our mind grows. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about the, the personal brand story. A lot of people look up to you, uh, you know, and follow your content, love your content. Um, so tell me a little bit about, you know, what has been, you know, what that journey has been like and, you know, what you think has really separated you from all, you know, so many other people that try to make, you know, say, make a YouTube channel or post on LinkedIn um, and why you've been successful at it. Where I'll start on this, Tom, is that truly committing something is one of the most terrifying things you can do. For example, when you lose a job, hypothetically, everyone's so curious about what is next. Everyone just wants to know so badly what is next. Because when you start to amplify, this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm committed to, people then watch it and, and they're a bit in disbelief because you're rowing the opposite direction of where everyone else is going. So they, secretly don't want you to succeed, but they're like, kind of like, Hey, I, I wish you all the best because you're going against the pact because when you're used to every weekend, it's not even said, we're going to meet up at this time, go to brunch and start hanging out with your friends. But when you can't do that anymore, it's like, Hey man, what's going on? What, like, what's going on with you? What, what's up? Oh, you don't want to watch the game with us? Like, what, what are you doing in your room talking into a camera? So when you truly commit to something, <laughs> it's so hard. It's so hard. Um, and, and just a, a, a backstory here is I, originally I, I would watch people online and, and the moment for me was there's this guy named Graham Stefan. He's a personal finance YouTuber. And I saw this video of him and I'm like, this guy's kind of a geek. Like, what does he know that I don't know? He, he sold houses. Now he's a personal finance guy. What does he know? And then he, he made this video revealing he made a million dollars through ad revenue, just making YouTube videos, not wow. selling anything. It was that moment where I said, I, it, I have to get in this game. Like now is the time to start making YouTube videos. It costs no money. I have to get in it. Before this time period, I had, in college, I had a bet with a friend. We were like, who can get 100 subscribers on YouTube first? I think I always liked making, like I was the guy who would take the GoPro around parties and like made the made like the, the highlight reels of us doing whatever. So I always liked it, but I was always scared to commit to it. I had attempted to start a YouTube channel multiple times, but never stuck with it. I attempted to do a podcast, did 10 episodes, quit it. I built a blog, did a th three posts and then quit it. So I had a track record of starting and quitting things many, many times. It's actually easier than you would think to start, Tom, but it's harder than you ever could imagine to continue doing it because you get in a point of resistance two weeks after you start where it starts to, you have to sacrifice who you were to become what you want to be. So if you're not willing to give up that hour of TV in the afternoon, if you're not willing to give up hanging out with friends one day a week, if you're not willing to give up whatever it is for you, then you'll never be able to build a personal brand or do something significant outside of your main job, in my view. 
So when I really committed to the YouTube channel, it was during, it was 2020 when the pandemic hit. It was, um, I had always thought about this. I had tried multiple times, but then I was, I realized I'm forced to work from home. I can't do anything like I'm used to. I don't see this ending anytime soon. If I don't dig in and do this YouTube channel thing now, it's never going to happen. So that was when I decided I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to keep doing it. So I, I would make stupid videos on all subjects. And then there's this guy named Noah Kagan. I don't know if you know who that is. Yeah. Yep. And um, I was following him and I ended up getting connected with him through one of his office hours. And then I got to speak with him personally. And now I have his phone number right. and we text every so often. And he's like, hey, you're in tech sales. You've done it for two years. You've promoted from a sales development rep to an account executive. Why don't you talk about that? And that, that was when the light bulb went off of, I don't need to talk about personal finance. I'm not wealthy yet. I don't really follow the, the stock news. Let me just talk about my job in sales. And that was when I really started to get in this documentation phase of what is a sales development rep? What is an account executive? And it was just exclusively focusing on documenting my journey in tech sales. And I, I have eventually got obsessed with it. I posted for 145 days straight an eight-minute YouTube video. So if the audience right now can think about what it would take them to make one video, imagine that every day for 140 days straight. That's what I did when no one was listening. You know what it's like to get absolutely no views on videos. It, it kind of hurts a little yeah. bit. So you had yeah. to push, you have to push through that. And then uh, you eventually find your voice. And then I eventually got on LinkedIn and I was like, I'll do LinkedIn to promote my videos, but then that didn't work. So I said, I'll just make content on LinkedIn for LinkedIn. And then that's how the LinkedIn kind of took off. So it's all about just being authentic and, and being true to myself and talking about things I'm seeing and what I actually know. And what I'll end on this is what is your single origin? So if you're a sales guy, can you talk about your day-to-day -day in sales? If you're a plumber, can you talk about your day-to-day your -day in plumber? If you're insert XYZ position, just talk about what you're doing and what seems obvious to you is gold to others. Mm. And I bet alongside the, the long string of videos with seven views, uh, you also probably got some, if you're anything like me, at least got some jabs from your buddies of like, dude, what, what the hell are you doing? You know, or like, you know, people teasing you a little bit or saying it's dumb or why are you spending your time? You know, when I started my podcast, so every Sunday was the podcast day. So I, yeah. I would do the podcast maybe during the week, but it took me hours to edit it because I sucked at editing and it just took forever. <laughs> so like every Sunday afternoon, I'd be editing the podcast. And like, it didn't matter what else was going on. You know, uh, I missed a lot of New England Patriots games uh, during that stretch. So, um, which hurt, it probably hurt. Did that hurt? Did that hurt? Did that hurt telling your friends, guys, I can't watch the game with you and I got to edit? It, it hurt telling them it, it hurt more. What hurt more were people's reactions. What, yeah. what hurt more was like, this me clearly means a lot to me that I'm doing this. And, um, you know, there's a, a lot of uh, really successful people talk about there are, there are mergers sometimes with friends. Uh, that fall out of your life, like, because you just make different, you go on different paths, you know? And I think even if you're not on the same path, there's some people that support you and that's fucking awesome. And I, I appreciate that. And then there's some people that just don't get it and we don't maybe see eye to eye. And that, that's kind of, you know, that, that is a little bit of a bummer, you know, uh, when people uh, kind of hate on it and it's like, man, we're clearly just not in the same frame of mind. And, you know, it just, it, it's kind of a bummer. I don't know if that happened to you too. I've lost friends over what I've done and it's, it, it's been challenging because you know that like I've, I've seen messages, for example, of people I consider really good friends 
that would kind of make fun of you behind your back that they wouldn't think would get back to you. And you see that, and it's basically just them doubting you. But oftentimes what I've learned, because I've seen my fair share, I've been on TikTok. I mean, I've seen all these comments for a long, long time, over 800 days of doing it, actually a thousand days of doing it, but like really serious for a while. But oftentimes these comments are just a reflection of, of people's own viewpoint of themselves. So when they doubt you and they don't believe you, it's oftentimes they don't believe themselves because they're either jealous, there's some sort of negative emotion attached to them seeing you truly trying to create waves. And that's what makes it uncomfortable. It's that social pressure. And that's when I said earlier about truly committing something. For example, when I say, Hey, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to build a business. I'm going to go do this. People are then watching and then kind of waiting for you to either fail or succeed with it. So, so that's the challenge with it. And what I've found is, um, anyone who says it doesn't impact them is, is a psychopath. It, it, everyone will feel it and you see it. There's no way around it, but I think it just gets to a place. I, I heard Gary V talk about this of just, when you get really positive support, you don't want to let that get you overjoyed. But when you see really negative feedback, you don't want to let that get you down. You never get too high or too low. Nothing's as good or as bad as it seems. And it's all about how you view yourself. And I'll, I'll tell one story on this, Tom, because this embodies it all. I had been creating content for a, for a year or so, like maybe 700 subscribers on YouTube, nothing on LinkedIn and like hard to get off the ground on YouTube talking about B2B sales. It's not easy for anyone out there that, that, that has tried. And I had been creating all this content and I had just promoted from an SDR to an account executive. I was at my company two years, never missed my quota as an SDR and was like considered a top producer. I hit my first quota as an account executive. My quota was $7,200. I was ramping. I put up 22, 23,000. So I remember I put on LinkedIn, like I just closed 350%, whatever, made a YouTube video about it. Fast forward a month, our sales kickoff in January. There's this tenured sales leader, been the company 10 years, veteran, can do it, do say whatever he wants. And he kind of, um, there's a section of sales kickoff where he roasts people. And I, I had seen this the year before, like someone was on the bachelor and he like roasted them for that. Just like random stuff. I had a weird feeling this day. And of course I was, I was the, the main focus point in this SKO. He pulled a clip of me with my shirt off, like long, crazy hair during pandemic of like me screaming about whatever. And it, it was like a very, they wouldn't make fun of you unless they thought you were the, like a producer. Like they don't want to scare people away to like point where they quit. But like, this was so embarrassing where I'm getting messages of people that are colleagues are like, I'm sorry, this is happening. Like this, this is like, I'm sorry for you. And, and it's that look in the mirror moment where I'm like, this is bad. Like I'm an unproven rep. I just got mocked in front of my entire company. Like I'm sure in a, like a well-intentioned way, but like, it was, it was a, maybe I'm biased, but like it was bad, Tom. And I remember looking at myself that night saying, I either have to double down on content or I'd stop entirely. And I think every, I'll, I'll, people would have that decision. It's not easy when every single, yeah. like everyone at the company is looking at you. I made a video that night for better or worse. And I basically said, I don't give a shit what this guy says. I'm going to have the biggest year this year. I'm going to make more content than ever. And I went, <laughs> I went, I went out because, because then that anger was like never ending fuel for me that year. And it was the most productive year of my life because I used that anger and that fear of if I don't succeed this year and, and, and then we get to this point next year and they make fun of me, like I'm, I'm like, I'm exposed at that point. So like that, that fear was so great that every day was just never ending motivation. So that year, my total quota, I was still partially ramping was about 350,000 of, of ARR. 
I put up $960,000 that year. And this was my first full, full year of, of real revenue. Um, promoted two times from an account executive level three to account executive level five. That, that was from a 130 OTE to a 207 OTE. So this was a matter of 25 that year. And it was using that event to then propel everything forward. So when you have that doubt, use it. Mm. Try, I'm ready to run through a freaking wall right now, man. <laughs> the best awesome. part is I, 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 I saw him in the office. I remember seeing him in the <laughs> office like nine months at like after that, towards the end of the year. And I knew, I knew I produced like ridiculous. Like I was the top rep of, of like 50 reps in my specific division. I remember I was waiting for him outside the bathroom because he was in my office. I was like, I was like, you, you got to shout me out this year. And it was as simple as that. And, and it was respect from yeah. that moment on. But yeah, I mean, you got, you got to use those moments to push you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had uh, maybe nothing as bad as that, but, but similar moments that have pushed me. And, and on the flip side, also finding people uh, that, you know, uh, do see things similarly to you that you can use to, to build, you know, trust with and that you can kind of inspire each other. That's why I'm, you know, happy that, that we become friends through the internet. We've never met in person, uh, but we, you know, we both have a lot of similar connections. I think you know, you, you know, Anthony, we, we both know, you know, Chris Orlob. Well, I know you, you've been working with him a little bit and some of these other people. So um, I do think just for anyone that is, is out there grinding, feels like they're on an Island. Um, there are other people, the internet, uh, especially LinkedIn is an amazing place where you can meet folks. Um, uh, unfortunately we're, we're running a little low on time. Uh, and I, I'd be remiss not to bring up, uh, you know, your new transition. So you made a lot of news within the last month or two uh, about getting fired from your job where you got promoted six times in five years uh, and, you know, I've been kind of a free agent for the last month or so figuring some stuff out, testing stuff, taking some space, taking time for yourself. Um, I'm not going to be that guy that's wondering what, uh, although I am wondering, uh, but ask you like what you're going to do next necessarily, but just, I'd love to learn, you know, from being on and having a quota every single month for years on end. And now like, just not <laughs> and having maybe some savings to live off of where you're not really doing anything uh, or you don't have to, you don't have the pressure to bring in an income, at least for the, for the time being. Uh, what, what are some of the learnings? What are some of the thoughts that you've had kind of ruminating uh, over the last month or two? What, what I'll speak on, on this, Tom, because it, it's a really interesting topic, but I got to be careful what I say here. What I'll say is that when you're very public and you're announcing and documenting your journey, and then that journey abruptly comes to an end in a very public way. Naturally, it's it's a curious event because people start wondering what happened, why, da, da, da. And as someone to myself who makes sales-related content, it starts to become, well, okay, if you get fired from your sales job, how does that impact your credibility or diminish whatever you're doing? What I'll say on, on what happened is these large companies risk is incredibly important. And if there becomes a point where someone could potentially bring more risk to a firm than they produce despite bringing in revenue, it just becomes a conflict of interest. I'm grateful for my time at my previous company. I respect what happened and I wish everyone nothing but the best with that. With that being said, when you get put in this career transition, you immediately start to have uncertainty because there's doubt as to, okay, where will my next income come in? What is going to happen? How does this impact my self-identity when it's, hey, I go in the office every day, I'm a sales guy, to now no longer having the sales job? And you really start to question everything. And what I'll, what I'll speak to a few points here is to your point around building a network, 
in order to attract higher value people to your circle, use the internet. It's so hard in real life. Just focus on becoming more valuable yourself and naturally you'll start to attract other people. I had a list of about 20, 25 people that I had written down that I considered like not necessarily close, but acquaintances professionally where, Hey, if I needed to say something that they, they would listen. Every one of them, including yourself reached out after I announced I got let go. So I, I appreciate you doing that. So when you build these connections, that's, that's really important when you're in there. So as I think about what's next, I spoke with a lot of different people and the consensus advice is don't rush into anything. Don't rush into anything next. So it's been about 45 days since I've been with no quota, no manager, no schedule, no nothing. And what I'll tell you, Tom, is I've used an alarm clock twice. One was because I had to pick up my sister from the airport. One was to pick up a flight. So I don't use an alarm clock anymore. I get nine, 10 hours of sleep. There is no pressure with the quota. I fortunately don't have to worry necessarily as much about money as I would have if I wouldn't have built a personal brand. So I feel really lucky about yeah. that. And the way I look at it is I now feel like the Band-Aid was ripped off for me. I could have seen myself at my previous company for another five, 10 years. I wanted to keep climbing the ranks, become an enterprise rep. But when you're in this system of a large software organization, it's great and it provides you so much. So I encourage everyone to exploit your corporation for everything you can productively, i.e. connections, make as much money as you can, get as much experience and learn as much as you can. Because when that's gone, it's then gone. And then when you're on your own, like Tom and I, you then can apply that in other productive ways. So now yeah. I look at myself and I say, you know what? If I were to go back and get another sales job, it's just this, this, this reinforcement loop of work to get this promotion, to then be eligible to make this amount of money. And you're in these confines of, well, you got to still appease these people in the political structure despite producing... So I don't really have the appetite to get a sales job anytime soon. I actually did a poll and I said, should I go travel the world, get an MBA, start a business, buy a business? 3,300 people responded. And the number one point was travel the world. So I took a trip to Mexico. So we satisfied that, but I wouldn't necessarily consider that traveling the world. So I now find myself in a position where I'm fortunate to have this personal brand and some different opportunities through that. And I really just view my job now as just learning. It's personal development, yeah. getting learning as much as I can and continuing to produce content and, and, and really just not rushing into anything. So I'm just going to keep doing what I have been doing. And that it kind of goes back to the main point of, but when you do announce, I'm starting this business, I'm joining this, I'm going to go do that. It then, then the spotlight's back on you because then you're committing to that. So I'm not quite at a place where I'm fully in committed to anything. I'm just learning and getting better and focusing on myself and, and taking advantage of this career transition. I love it, man. I love it. Next uh, international trip, hit me up. <laughs> content in, in Greece or something. Uh, oh, man, that'd be and, cool. Uh, and and I, I, I appreciate you coming on, man, sharing your wisdom. There's so much to be learned from all of the stages of your career from, you know, just, just starting off with no experience and, and no connections to, you know, really uh, owning it and going all in and, and learning from that to you know, treating yourself as a you know, corporate athlete to where you are today. <laughs> so um, there's, there's so much to be learned depending on where people are in their own journeys when they're listening to this. But um, first of all, I'd love to have you back sometime. I think there's more we could talk about. Love to create some more content with you, or uh, maybe we could have another trick up our sleeve with something else for, for people at some point, um, which would be cool. But, but also want you to get the opportunity to share like where people can follow you, find you, uh, connect with you if, uh, if they so choose to. 
Yeah, you can find me on YouTube, LinkedIn, Trent Russell, pretty active there. And uh, you'll find me commenting on on a lot of Tom's stuff, anything I see. I know you got that trip coming up in Austin. Unfortunately, I'm moving to Denver. The previous months, I don't see myself coming back to Texas, but it looks like you guys got a really cool event coming up in Austin in July. Yeah, yeah, we do. It's bad timing for you believing the state. Uh, you're welcome down. If you want to come down, you got a free ticket on me. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Okay, I like that. Yeah. Um, awesome, man. Everyone, definitely go follow Trent. Uh, check out his YouTube. Check him out on LinkedIn. Hit him up. Trent, appreciate you coming on, man. This is great. Yeah, a lot of fun, Tom.